Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 90 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm so glad you're here. It is May 31st, 2018, and today I am speaking with the lovely E.J. Russell, who was a delight to interview. She has such a sweet and gentle and kind demeanor that I just found myself relaxing in her presence, which means that I really want to read her books. So uh, I've got two of them queued up on my Kindle now to dive into. I know you're going to enjoy the interview with her. And before we get into that, a little personal catch up. My thriller is officially out. It's not only off my desk, but it is now on the desks of 18 editors. So that's terrifying. Um, like I said in the last episode, it's been a long time since I've been on submission because I was fulfilling contracts. And so it's a good feeling. It's an exciting feeling. And I'm hopeful. So if you've got fingers to cross or um, chickens to sacrifice on my account, go right ahead. I will appreciate that. Uh, please don't sacrifice any chickens unless it's like completely humane. Let's just jump off that topic. I wish I hadn't brought it up. But um yeah, say a little dance. Do a little talking for me. Apparently I'm punchy. I have not been sleeping well. Uh, not related to the book, just for some reason not sleeping well. So I'm a bit tired right now, but that's okay. We can get through this together. Um, yes, so that's that. And the other thing that happened this week was interesting and fun. Uh, Vox.com, V-O-X.com, approached me about writing a piece on 911. We had this incident you may have heard of in my town, Oakland, California, a couple weeks ago where a white lady called the cops because two black men were using a charcoal grill in a place that is not municipally municipally designated to have a charcoal grill. So she made a big stink. Two hours later, the police came out. She was still there waiting for the police to arrive. Um, the fact is, this is my lake. This is Lake Merritt. This is the place I love. Um, this is where I run. I see the lake every day. I walk around it or, or run it at least three times a week. Um, that is my land. And you know how often there are barbecues there? Every weekend if not every night. There are always barbecues there. It's a fantastic place for families to hang out. The law was enacted, the municipal code was enacted three years ago. Um, there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of outrage about the law. It was said to be possibly a racially motivated law. Um, it has never been enforced for that reason. It's just not worth enforcing. Oaken is a big city with a lot of things happening. Nobody cares about a charcoal grill. Um, everybody's doing it. It is fun and fantastic and friendly. And there's always kids playing and it's wonderful. So this woman got mad. Um, and what it has prompted are these fantastic um, outdoor barbecues that happen are happening every weekend, um, even more so than they ever did. Lake Merritt has just turned into a party every weekend. It is fabulous. So, um, the moral of the story, the takeaway from that was, uh, nobody got cited. Nobody got arrested. Uh, they did 
um, checked to see if the caller was crazy and needed to be committed because she was acting a little squirrely. Um, but she wasn't, nothing, nothing happened. Uh, but it did bring attention to us, our city and to police response. So Vox asked me to write an article about what it is like to be a 911 dispatcher in cities where racially motivated 911 calls are made. Um, and let me tell you, that's every city all day, every day. Uh, racially motivated phone calls were 911 calls were the most common kind of calls to get, honestly. So I wrote a piece for Vox on it. And, um, and the, the, basically the, the premise of the piece was 911 dispatchers don't get to pick who calls. Um, they know a bogus call when they see one. There was code in the dispatch log, uh, that I parsed and wrote about in the article, um, that basically said the dispatcher knew this was a bogus call, but when somebody calls to complain on to complain about something, cops must go out. Cops don't get to say this is a racially motivated bogus call that is a waste of my time. They must go. Dispatchers must put in the call and the cops must go. That call would have been held forever so that later, you know, the cops could drive by and say, there's no one here. There's no problem. That's the way it's usually handled um, because it, there was no danger of life being damaged. Uh, there wasn't even property damage being threatened. But two hours later, there was a physical fight that was starting to happen. So cops were dispatched the minute that was responded reported. They got there eight minutes later. So I broke that down in the article and talked about how difficult it was to be in a system that we have in this country. And, um, it was just a matter of saying yes at the right time. I was very glad that Vox asked me to write about it. I was very glad to write about it. I gave them a super quick turnaround, um, within a day. It went live. Basically they asked me, they contracted me, I wrote it, they edited it, and it went up on the last six days since last talking to you. So that is now live. It's getting really good attraction in the media. I'm getting other media requests and the reason I'm bringing it up is because number one, I said yes to the request, um, but I could have also gone out and gotten that article had I thought about it, which I didn't because I'm busy and I don't always create more work for myself. Um, but it's it's honestly good too because the thriller that I wrote is about a dispatcher. It's set from a dispatcher's perspective, which was my perspective for 17 years. And it is really fun to be back in this mindset of the thriller of this dispatcher's world and um, to visit it fictionally and also through nonfiction. It's been really a pleasure to do that. So um, if you just search Vox.com Rachel Heron or Vox.com 911, it'll probably pop right up if you want to read the article. And just a tiny, tiny little bit of business. I want to thank very, very much Susie Howe and Diane Gates Anderson. Thank you, Susie and Diane for supporting my Patreon, patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L. I just sent out like 15 minutes ago, I sent out the May essay, which is how gardening affects, directly affects my creativity and how to harness the, the, things that I've learned from gardening to help your creativity. So I just sent that out. If you're interested in those kind of essays, there's like 17 of them up there now. You can get them for a dollar a month um, if you would like to. So you can check that out if you like. But overall, 
And most importantly, thank you to all my patrons. It really, really makes a difference in my life, an actual real difference. Those little $1, they really add up. And thank you with all my heart. Um, so let's jump into the interview. Please enjoy EJ Russell. I know that I did. You're going to leave this interview feeling better about yourself, better about writing. And hit me up with what you're doing. Get some writing done and then tell me about it. Okay, my friends, talk to you soon. Hey, writers. I've opened up some coaching slots. I'm not taking clients on a weekly basis right now as I'm working on my own books, but I am doing one-offs. I call them tune-ups. Tell me your plot problems and ask your character queries. Let me know what stumbling blocks you're up against. Get tips and tricks to get you back on the right track. Ask me questions about all things publishing. Together, we'll brainstorm your specific plan of action, making sure you're in the driver's seat of your book again. You'll receive a 30-minute call over Skype or FaceTime, giving you the honest encouragement you need to keep getting better, or a polite ass-kicking if that's what you need and ask for. Plus, you'll get an MP3 audio recording or MP4 video, your choice of our chat, so you can re-listen at your leisure. And if you want a little more help, I can also critique either 10 pages or your book's outline and talk you through my findings. Just check out rachelherron.com slash coach for more info. I'd love to work with you. Now on to the interview. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome to the show EJ Russell. Hi, EJ. Hi, Rachel. So nice to be here. Oh, Thanks it's for having me. <laughs> wonderful to have you. Let me give you a little bit of an intro here. EJ Russell, Grace, mother of three, recovering actor, writes romance in a rainbow of flavors. Count on high snark, low angst, and happy endings. Reality, eh, not so much. <laughs> EJ lives in rural Oregon, enjoys visits from her wonderful adult children, and indulges in good books, red wine, and the occasional hyperbole. Welcome again. I love that you are a fan of hyperbole. I have this theory that most writers are. What do you think about that? I think that's probably true. At least the writers that tend to um, sort of swerve more into the comedy, because that's yes. one of the that makes comedy amusing is twisting it just that little extra bit so that it's just on the edge of ridiculous. It so. used to be something I would get in trouble for as a kid. You know, I was always <laughs> exaggerating something just a little too much. And while the kids would laugh at me, I, I basically I was lying, you know? <laughs> no, no, you were engaging in hyperbole. <laughs> I was storytelling and now I get paid to do it. So that's excellent. Well, I would love to hear about your process. If anybody's watching on the video, you're in this beautiful office with lots of books behind you. It looks yeah. Id idyllic. So, well, tell us about your writing process. Um, when do you write? How do you write? Where? Well, I write in this room. Actually, I write in a chair that's right over there. My dog is sitting in it right now. <laughs> um, until last October, I had a full-time day job mm -hmm. in information technology. And then the company that I had been working for for 19 years closed its doors. Um, and so being a woman of a certain age, didn't really want to try and find another job in IT because it probably wasn't going to happen. So I decided maybe I'll try this writing thing full time. So whereas before I would write in the morning, cross my office to the other side, to the left brain side, do my eight hours of IT and then cross back over, the, over to the other side and do my right brain writing. Now I do the right brain writing all day. Um, and, uh, but I've 
discovered is that I do my best new words in the morning. I'm a morning person. Um, so I'd like to get up six or seven in the morning, try and do as much of my word count for the day as I can then. And then occasionally I'll go out to a movie in the afternoon. <laughs> or perhaps <laughs> take a nap. That too. That'd be very good. <laughs> Did you really cross the office? You had two separate places for that I activity? Do. Yeah. My um, my writing laptop is a Mac, but mm -hmm. um, the, the uh, laptop that I worked for, uh, I worked on for um, my day job, which actually is right here. Mm -hmm. Know whether or not the Mac Skype would work today um, is uh, a Windows PC. So um, I was working in two different operating systems, and the um, the clients that we had were uh, were all Windows clients, various kinds. So it was it was definitely a switch, and um, I had all my great big screens that I used for um, doing my programming um, on the on the left brain desk, and on the in the right brain chair, I just had my little MacBook in my in my uh, lap. And the laptop being a literal laptop. I love that. I think that um, my brain really gets attached to certain places for writing. Like I do all of my email where I'm sitting at this desk. I do, for some reason, my journal writing, standing up at my desk behind me. I like to write fiction at the library, but I like <laughs> to revise it in the living room. You know, we, we compartmentalize this way. So that's, that's awesome. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? I am a very detailed plotter. Mm, I'm jealous of you. <laughs> well, and it was a big surprise to me when I discovered that because when I first started writing about nine years ago, and not knowing, having any idea what I was doing, I assumed that I was just, you know, a pantser and I would just sit down and I had, you know, a little nugget here, a little, little nugget there, and I would try to write around all of those things. And over the course of um, being an, a, an unabashed class slut for a number of years, taking every class I could possibly find, um, I finally discovered the process that worked for me, um, which is plotting things out in a, in a relatively detailed manner using um, a, a screenwriting book by Todd Click called Something Startling Happens. Oh, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. He went through and he analyzed over 300 movies, mm -hmm. minute by minute. And in each one of those minutes, something happens that's essentially you can track across almost all movies that are, you know, genre-specific movies. And, there, I mean, it's very general. Like, you know, one of them is, you know, one beat is something startling happens. And there's a, like a jaw dropper or, you know, a trouble turn. Or, and it, but it gives you a little... Um, uh, Story prompt. So as you're as you're trying to plan things out, you you know you can know okay, well, at this point something startling needs to happen. They need to have something happen. It's usually in a romance that's when the two characters have their meet cute. <laughs> have you um, compared it to Blake Snyder's uh, Save the Cat method? Is it very similar? The interesting thing about um, Todd Click's method is that it does not preclude using any of the other macro plotting. Um, oh, very cool. You can overlay Blake Snyder's method on top of it because it's very general. It's like, you know, here's a turning point, here's a midpoint, here's where the bad guys close in, all of those things. But those weren't specific enough for me. I tried to use those and I never, I couldn't tell what was going to happen next. And it was this 
more detailed plotting method that enabled me to actually move forward and 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 know from minute to minute, or in this case, um, a minute in a, in one of my drafts um, translates to a certain number of words, average number of words, right. like a thousand words, or if it's a short story, 500 words. So I know that I have to keep moving through those beats every thousand words, something's going to happen. And that helps me um, plan out the book. And once I get it planned, I can draft it very quickly. I'm actually plotting a book right now. So I'm going to steal that book. And, and whenever I, I do a lot of um, research either right before I start a book or right about at the three quarter mark of a book when I'm both times I'm completely convinced I can't write another book, you know, that I've just either I can't write this one or I'm failing completely. So I generally learn a new method. So that'll be my next method to learn. That's fabulous. I call that point the death zone. I hit the death zone every single book. It's about 45% to 65% of the way through the book because far enough from the beginning that it's not really exciting anymore. And you're not close enough to the end where you can see, you know, the downward slide into yes. it. So it's like pulling teeth, you know, getting through that, the death zone every time. My wife is always very good at telling me, you always tell me you can't do this. And then you always do because I really forget. I literally forget. And I'm always convinced this is the time I can't do it. So what do you, you call it? The death, the death zone? The death zone. I'm going yes. to start calling it that. That's wonderful. What is your biggest joy in writing? Um, I really love it when I'm writing, um, doing my fast drafts. I draft in um, uh, like 30-minute sprints. When I get in the zone and I'll just be writing along and something new will, will sort of occur to me, either about a, a character or the story world or sometimes it's about, you know, the plot. And just because I'm a detailed plotter doesn't mean I can't veer off. And that's right, one of the cool right. things about the uh, the startling beats is that if you get to a point and you decide what I plan isn't going to work, you just change it. And you can, because it's in such, you know, small enough increments, that it's fairly easy to figure out how to fix those that going forward or going back. So, oh. so that's one of the things I like. Or, or you know, just thinking, sitting around and, and noodling and and coming up with that one thing, that little light bulb moment that makes the whole plot click. So I love that feeling. I, in the plotting of this new book, I had one of those moments yesterday. And I remembered that that's just one of the best feelings in writing when you when you just go, oh, that's it. Aha. A lot of times that happens when I'm like just drifting off to sleep and I have to wake up and write it down on the little pad of paper I keep next to the bed so that I don't forget what it is the next morning, but I have forgotten so many of those things. And for some reason, I always think that I'm not going to forget this one. And then I do. So, but sometimes it's like figuring out what the title is. So sometimes I need, but I need the title. The oh. title gives me theme for the book before I actually start. Writing I it. never have a title until <laughs> look, I'm about to hit publish. It's just called whatever name is the, is the <laughs> character's name. That's so funny. That's why I love this talking to writers about this. Cause there's so many different ways that we do all of this stuff. Can you share a quick craft tip of any sort? Well, I was thinking about this after you gave me the, you know, the list of questions and I don't know that it's a tip necessarily as a piece of advice. Maybe. Um, I mentioned being a class slut back in the day um, and the fact that every time I came into contact with a new method, it, it would sort of send my self-confidence um, sinking because I thought that all these people knew 
better than I did. And I had to do what they did in order mm-hmm. to be successful. Um, and it wasn't until I found the one class and the one book together that clicked with my you know, particular style and um, the way that I wanted to work that all of those things fell away. So my, my piece of advice would be don't let the process that any other author uses make you feel that yours is any less valid. It needs to be what works for you. I love that. And I have another piece of advice too, which is know when you're done, and not just with the book, but on any given day, if you have a, a plan of what you're going to accomplish, you know, set, set those goals to be reasonable and achievable things. Because if you make them too big, if you, if you can't get them, sure, it's fine to stretch yourself. But if they're too challenging and you never hit them, you set yourself up to fail every day. And being able to accomplish something, even if it's a small thing, gives you that little hit and, and, and keeps you going. Because if you are nothing but failing every day, you get discouraged and it really sucks on your, your productivity. And it, it doesn't help your self-esteem. So I absolutely believe that. I've I've had some students have extensive success with you know they've always tried to write a thousand words a day or two thousand words a day or whatever they're doing, and then when I assign them to write fifty words a day and then you can write as much as you want, they suddenly become more productive because they're having this success, success, success rather than oh my god I'm always a failure. Exactly. Oh, yes. 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 Perfect. When you're done, trust your process. <laughs> trust your process. When you have, though, as we all do as writers, those that self-doubt or those really dark days when it's just all the death zone, how do you handle that? Usually I read. Mm. I read a lot. Sometimes I'll read for days and all the time I'm thinking, I should be writing. But I know, too, that if I sit down and try and write when I'm not ready, because there's something going on. Usually there's something wrong that I have to figure out before I can move forward. So if I read, 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 at, at some point, I'm going to hit the point where I'm in some story or other that I've just picked up somewhere. And I think, this isn't the story I want. And if I want the story that I want, I need to write the story that I want. And so then I'll put the reading aside and get back to writing. Oh, I love that. I've literally been reading and gotten up off my couch to go write something after I've given up writing for the day, but something will trigger me from the, from the reading. I think that's just one of the most delicious feelings ever. Perfect. What is the best book you've read recently and why did you love it? Um, recently I read Kim Fielding's um, A Full Plate, which is a dream spun uh, desires, which is their category line. And all um, I really love, I mean, Kim is one of my favorite authors. All of her books are well-written, well-crafted. This one is light and fun and fluffy. And as you can tell from my bio, I don't do angst. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I cannot understand it when people recommend a book and say, oh, it's so wonderful. I cried all the way through. I don't want to cry all the way through. I want to laugh all the way through. I, um, so uh, this one is is in, in Actually, one of one of Kim's books is one of my favorite books of all time, and it does have angst in there that made me need to be scraped off the floor when I finished reading it. But this one was just happy and fun, and it had one of my favorite lines in it, even though you can't, out of context it doesn't really <laughs> sound all that funny, but I laughed a lot. So 
what is what is the name of that one that is a little bit more angsty for those of pe- people like me who love the pain? It's called the Tin Box. Okay, great. And it is just gut wrenching, and it's 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 actually it's two stories in one. There's the modern story of the of the current couple, but then there's the historical story, and that's the one that's gonna rip out your heart. I can't wait. Thank you. And now let's talk a little bit about you. Where can we find you? Tell us about your most recent work, all that good stuff. I just had a new book released last uh, Tuesday. Congratulations. Thank you. It's called Nudging Fate. It is, I call it a screwball paranormal romantic comedy. That sounds amazing. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, definitely light and fluffy because I don't like the angst, you know. (laughs) Um, you can find me probably, um, my website, ejrussell.com has all the different links to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of those things, but that's probably the best place to look. And it also has, um, a page with all my, my books on it too. So thanks to those. Perfect. Perfect. It has been delightful talking to you and I'm going to go pick up your new book and put it at the top of my TBR pile because just talking to you and hanging out with you is giving me this warm, calm feeling. I don't know if people tell you that all the time, but um, I want to curl up into your works the same way. I've been reading a lot of dark, dark, dark angst stuff, and I need something a little bit lighter for a moment. Yeah, I don't have that so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, EJ. This has been a delight. Thanks, Rachel. I really appreciate it. Yay. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.